I'll tell you what, you look at all of our kiddos that are heading down the hall, and, and uh, that just warms my heart. Every Wednesday night, our youth group meets uh, right here in this new building that we've built, and they'll run 20 to 30 teenagers uh, as well. And so it's just really neat to see the way that God is, uh, is moving in these younger kids and the love that they have for the Lord. And guys, that's a reflection on you as parents, the work that you're doing and pouring in. I know as a parent, sometimes it may get frustrating and you wonder if you're really making a difference. Uh, but we see that in your kiddos and we see the reflection of God's love that you've poured into them inside you, uh, inside of them as we work with them. And so just thank you for that privilege of, uh, of allowing us to do that. Uh, continue just to remind you that, um, that these ministries take a lot of, uh, a lot of elbow grease, a lot of work, uh, and if you want to be a part of that, not just changing your kids' lives, but pouring into the, the 20 other kids that we have in Children's Church every week, we, we need folks that will help us to do that. Uh, we do it on a rotation system, so um, you're not out every week. We're not asking you to make a commitment to be down there. But the more people that are involved, then the, the, the fewer times each year that you have to serve in that capacity. And it really spreads out the, the work, and, and nobody gets burned out. And these kids get to meet all of you and get to be a part of that. So if you're interested in, in making a difference in young people's lives and helping out with our children, there's room in the nursery for workers. There's also room in children's church. And we'll be happy to talk to you about that and get you plugged in in a ministry that's shaping uh, the future. So just let us know if you're interested in doing that. Well, we are in the middle of a study of the book of the Song of Solomon. It's a book that I've never preached through in our church before, but we are making our way through it. We finished last week with chapter 2, and uh, we're going to jump into the first five verses of chapter 3 today. Uh, I don't know if you've ever lost somebody that you truly love, uh, whether it's just for a few minutes or whether it's for the rest of this life, but, but sometimes when, when we go through loss, it, it brings things into perspective and it helps us to know just how much somebody means to us. Many times we don't express our, our deepest love for somebody until they're gone, and then we stand around at a casket or at a funeral and we talk about all the memories and all the things that they did and all the ways that they impacted us and one of the things that I'm trying to do better is to make sure that I speak those things while they can still hear them, that we let people know what they mean to us while they can still know just how important they are to our lives. Uh, so maybe you've lost somebody that you truly love. Maybe you've lost a child in a crowded store and, and that sense of panic sets in. I know for some of you, you say, relief. <laughs> I've got 10 minutes. But for most parents, uh, it would be this sense of panic where you're searching and you're, you're rushing to find that, that child. We today, on most of our phones, get amber alerts when a child is missing. We now have silver alerts when senior adults get confused and wander off and can't find them. Uh, have you ever thought or maybe imagined, or maybe you don't have to imagine because you've been through it, what those families are going through and what they are feeling as their loved one is unaccounted for. I remember the week that Catherine and Brad got married. One of our family friends uh, from the Orange area uh, had graduated from LCM. He was a valedictorian in his class. His name was Aaron. And um, as a graduation gift, he and his family took off to Honduras, uh, where they'd been on mission trips before, and they went down there just to spend some time together as a family. And one evening while they were out on that, that trip, Aaron, uh, the son, the, the one that just graduated, got in a kayak and wanted to paddle out, and if he could make it around the tip of this little slough where he was at, he could see the sunset, and he thought, man, that would be a beautiful thing to get to enjoy. And so he paddled his way out to the edge, 
And as he sat out there, some waves began to come in. And the way I understand the story is that his kayak flipped over. He lost his paddle. The paddle went one way, the boat went the other way, and he went after the boat. And uh, he didn't come back. Um, his family's on the shore waiting on him to paddle back in. And he was experienced at that. He knew how to handle a kayak, and yet he didn't return that night. They waited a little longer, and finally, before dark, they began to search. They began to look for him, and they called everybody they knew in that area and asked them to help them to search. But he had lost his paddle. And about that time, the tide was headed out, and the current carried him out to sea. Uh, His family felt this excruciating pain of loss, and I remember our phones began to blow up back here in the States. They were asking everybody to pray that they could find Aaron. Here he was at the most exciting moment of his life so far, graduating high school and achieving great success, and now he was swept out to sea. And it wasn't long before the authorities let them know that the darkness had set in and that they couldn't afford to search any longer that night. The family spent the night on the beach, hoping and waiting and praying that he might come home. It was the longest night of their life. As family and friends prayed that he would be found, the search resumed that next morning at at daybreak. They used planes and helicopters and boats. And all the family could do was to sit and to wait and to wonder if their son would make it back home. It seemed like an eternity to them. And then finally word came that he had been found. He was able to get back in the kayak and just float. No paddle, no way to get back home, but he stayed in the boat and he floated. They sent the choppers out, they dropped a ladder down, they were able to rescue him. And he was reunited with his family. And the family talked about that reunion. Where they embraced. And they held that child tighter than they had ever held him before. It's a story of loss and love and rescue. And this reunion that took place. Today... In our story in the Song of Solomon, we're going to see that same type of drama play out. You remember in chapters 1 and 2, these, these two have met, and, and this king has gone out and found him a farmhand. One who was so unlikely to be chosen as the, the, the bride of the king, and yet he looked at her and he saw her and he knew that she was the one for him. And they were in this betrothal period where they were promised to each other, they were engaged to each other, but they have not yet come together as husband and wife. Last week as we ended our study, they had talked about the, the, the day that their wedding would finally arrive and she looked forward to that and, and they were there together and they were enjoying one another's company and yet they knew the day had not yet come. And she said to him, you turn and, and, and go, you, you've got to leave. 
because I love you so much, this is, this is hard to wait. In chapter 3, as the story begins, this wedding day is drawing near. They are probably just days away from their wedding. She has moved from the countryside now and relocated into the city. And, and as she lays on her bed at night, she thinks about him. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, On my bed by night I sought him who my soul loves. I sought him. But I found him not. This is a dream. This is not reality. This is not what's actually going on in her life. It, it's obvious through the wording that she is on her bed at night. She is dreaming about the, the, the moment that her and her husband can finally come together. And in her dream, she turns in the bed, imagining that he is right there beside her. And she turns and she feels for him, and he is not there. And panic begins to set in. Four different times in these five verses today, she is going to call him the, the one whom my soul loves. So as she falls asleep, she has this dream. It's actually a nightmare. It, it's, it's, it's a nightmare. And in her dream, her groom is gone. The one that she has built all of her hopes and her dreams around has disappeared. Now, I don't know if it was just wedding jitters or what it was, but, but, but something happened that, that when she fell asleep that night, Her brain took her to this place that nobody would want to be. Janet and I were talking this week, and I said, you know, have we ever lost one of our kids? (laughs) I don't remember doing that, but have we ever lost a kid? And and she says, not that I can remember. She says, I remember when Ryan ran out into the street uh, in Lake Charles, and we panicked, wondering if traffic was coming or not, but we've never lost a child. And here's this bride on her bed, asleep at night, having this dream that the one that she built her life around now had disappeared. She just thought that waiting was hard. And now she finds herself in the middle of this nightmare where she is searching and and longing to find the one that she loves. He is the one who had rescued her. He is the one who was changing everything about her life. She was going from a farmhand to the queen, the, the king's wife. And now the one who had chosen her, the one who had rescued her, the one who had let her have this this great hope of a new life, she was searching and couldn't find him. I, I looked for him and I sought him and yet I could not find him, she says. A bride's worst nightmare. Some of you have experienced that kind of loss. Not in a dream, but in reality. You have loved big and the one you have loved is now gone. And you can relate to the sense of loss that she must feel. You can relate to what it's like to to have loved big and then to have lost big. That's what's going on in this girl's mind. And she has looked forward to this day all of her life. She has looked forward to the moment that her, 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 her king would come and rescue her and every girl's dream. And that day was just moments away. And here she finds herself locked in this dream where she looks and she is unable to locate the one that she loved in verse two she says i will rise now and i will go about the city now remember she is a country girl so she's going out into the unfamiliar the scary the dark she's going alone into the streets and into the squares she's willing to risk it all for the love that she had found 
And she says, I will rise and I will go. And I will seek him whom my soul loves. There's nothing passive about her love. There's nothing that's going to just sit back and hope he shows back up. She's not content to stay at home and and, and just wait and see what happens. She has found someone who has changed everything about her, who has given her hope, who has given her a future, who has given her himself. And she says, I'm not satisfied to just sit and to wait. I'm going to go and I'm going to search. I'm going to search in the city, even though she wouldn't have been familiar with the city. She's going up and down the streets and the squares, and it's, a, it's, it's, it's danger around every corner, you kind of think. She's, she's willing to risk it all in order to find him. She says, I'll seek him whom my soul loves. So I sought him, but I found him not. Can you feel the pounding of her heart as she searches the streets? Can can you sense what she must be feeling at that moment where everything is just going the right way and all of a sudden it seems like everything that could go wrong is going wrong? Have you ever been in those moments where panic sets in and, and, and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to turn and you don't know even what to think. That's where she's at, and that's where she finds herself in the middle of this dream. I sought him, but I couldn't find him. So she's making her way through the streets. The streets must be empty at night. They're not like our streets with street lights, but this is a town where when it gets dark, it gets dark. And people weren't found on the streets, but yet there was a watchman, the, the guards of the city, if you will. And he says, the watchman found me as they went about in the city. So here's these men on patrol, and, and they're patrolling the streets to keep the people safe at night. And they, they, they rarely would find somebody on the streets, but here she is on the street. And, and, and they come up to her wanting to know what she's doing out at dark. And her question is this. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? So she's not, a, she's not content to stay home. Love, that love is not passive. Love is active, and it's, it's a pursuing kind of love. And that's the love that she had for her lover, and that's the kind of love that he had displayed to her. And so she's up and down the street. She's, she's sought him in her bed. She couldn't find him. She sought him on the city streets and in the squares. Now she looks, and she can't find, but she runs across these watchmen. But she barely breaks stride as she meets the watchmen. She asks them, have you seen the one? whom I love. She barely breaks stride because she walks briskly looking for him. And surely these guards who are patrolling the town, surely they would have seen her man. Surely they would know where he was at. But their blank stare must tell her that they're going to be little help to her. And so she continues. She keeps moving. She keeps searching. And verse 4 says, Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. Down the streets, into the squares, past the guards, everywhere she can look and think and every person she can find, she's asking, have you found him? Have you seen him? And then she says, I barely got past the guards when I found him for whom my soul loves. And look at her response. I held him and I wouldn't let him go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. So here she is in this dream, and, and, and she's there, and she looks for him, and she can't find him. 
She finally runs across him. She sees him and she grabs hold of him. She lays hold of him and she says, I would not let go. I lost you once, but I'm not going to lose you again. In this dream, it wasn't a long dream, it doesn't seem like, but it was a memorable dream to her where she wakes up and and it's vivid, it's there. And she's saying, look, I've I've lost you once, I'm not going to lose you again. And so she holds on tight. And they include in this song, this this phrase, "I, I held on and wouldn't let him go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. This picture of their wedding night finally occurring where the marriage is consummated and they've come together taking you back to my mother's house where I feel safe, into the chamber of of her who can see me, my mother's bedroom, if you will, where there is great security. It's a picture of her having lost, regained, and saying, I never want to lose that again. As she awakes, she once again repeats this phrase that we saw earlier in this book where she addresses the daughters of Jerusalem. And she says in verse 5, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Be patient and wait until you have a man worth searching for, till you have one that's worth risking everything for. Don't rush love. Don't jump in head over heels. You, you wait and you see and you be patient and you wait for the one that God has for you. Don't stir up or awaken love until it pleases. We talk about love as being something that we fall into. Oh, we fell in love like you fall into a ditch. That's not it. We need to be wise in our love. We need to to allow the Lord to lead us and to guide us and to put us with the one that he has for us. And and she's she's saying to these girls, love is a risky thing. It, it, It grabs your heart and it wrenches it at times. And this dream reminded her of just how much she really loved this man. Now again, it's just a dream. But it was a moment that, that reminded her of how valuable he was to her. She was willing to risk it all. She was willing to go on the street. She was willing to, 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 to be harmed herself in order to find the one that she loved. This story is reminiscent of a similar story in the New Testament. Except in the New Testament account, it's not a dream. It's reality. It's a love found and a love lost and a love restored. It's the story that we see at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you've got your Bibles in John chapter 20, the story is told of the ladies getting up early on that resurrection Sunday morning. And they had the spices prepared and they were going to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. And you know the story. You know that when they got there, the stone had been rolled back and the body of Jesus was missing And in John chapter 20, it's this story of Mary Magdalene. John tells it kind of from Mary's perspective. And and we get the feeling of some of the same elements that were in our story in the Song of Solomon are are present in this story as well. It says in chapter 20, verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still, what? Dark. And she saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that would be John, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. This was a one that Mary loved with all her heart. 
Mary Magdalene was the one that Jesus had delivered her from demonic uh, spirits and, and, and seven different demons had been cast out of her. She was one who had given herself to follow Jesus. The fact that she was there at the cross. She was a Galilee girl who lived miles and miles away on the top part of the, the sea. And now here she is down in the city of Jerusalem, a country girl, if you will, down in the city. And she is there and she is out at night to get to the tomb to anoint the body of her Savior, her friend, the one that she loved with all of her heart. She's risking it. They've just crucified Jesus. What would they do to his followers? But her love compelled her to go and to find him and to anoint his body and to do what she could to pay her respects for him and to show her love. Jesus had been killed days earlier. She had followed them as they carried his body to the tomb so she would know where he was so that she could go and be there. Her heart was broken, probably distraught just wanting to be near him a little while longer. So she goes to the tomb. She finds that his body's not there. She runs and she tells Peter and John. And and the rest of the story here in John chapter 20 is that Peter and John then take off to the tomb and they get there and and they both go in and look and verify the fact that there's the burial cloth and, 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 and there's no body. And they look and they see that Jesus is gone. And Peter and John turn and go back to the home that they're staying at. But Mary can't leave. Mary stays. And she continues to mourn and grieve the loss of the one that she loved. She's unwilling to give up the search. She's asking everyone that she saw. And in verse 11, it picks up with Mary there at the edge of the tomb by herself. And it says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord. Her king was missing. Just like Our Lady in the Song of Solomon, her king was missing. They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And having said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing. But she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, just tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. Called her by name, Mary. She recognized the voice. He had called her name many times before. And she turns and she says to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And so Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And he had said these things to her. 
What did she do when she saw him? Love experienced, love lost, and now love regained. What did she do? She fell at his feet, it says in Matthew, and she clung to him and she worshipped him. What did our girl in the Song of Solomon do when she found him? What did she do? She grabbed a hold and she didn't want to let go. Here we see in the same story with Jesus that Mary Magdalene, she saw him. He called her by name. And she fell at his feet. She held on tight. And she worshipped him like never before. In that moment, everything changed. Her sorrow gave way to joy. Her sadness gave way to happiness. Her crying turns into rejoicing. The hopelessness that she felt as she watched her Savior crucified now gave forth an eternal hope. The one she loved was alive. The one she loved had been restored. Love experienced, love lost, and love regained. Solomon's bride-to-be, as well as Mary and the disciples of Jesus, felt the pain of losing the one that they couldn't live without. Loving, losing, and then loving again. And I think about us, and I think about those of you who have met Jesus as your Savior. And you know that intimate relationship with God. It's not just about going to church and checking off a list and saying, well, I went to church this week, I'm a a good person. But it's about knowing Jesus and seeing him in the day-to-day. It's about walking with him as this bride has walked with her king and and experiencing that love and that intimacy and knowing one another and and looking forward to the very next moment when you can be together and and you can look in his eyes and he can look in yours and, and, and you can share the intimacy that goes into a deep relationship with one another. It's having those moments moments. It's not religion. It's this relationship with Jesus. And for those of us who experience that, the good news is this, that we are in a better place because that love experience doesn't have to be a love lost in order to be appreciated. Sometimes we don't appreciate what we had until we lose it. And then we realize, oh my gosh, look what I had all this time. Sometimes we don't realize what we've got until we don't have it. And then we grieve at what we've lost because we didn't even realize what we had in the moment that we had it. For us as believers, we don't have to experience that. Yes, we have a Savior that loves us. Yes, we have a Savior who's died for us. We have a Savior that we can be in relationship with. But the difference for you and I on this side of the cross is that we have a Savior who's promised to never leave us to never forsake us. We will never roll over in the bed and go, where is my Savior? Because he is always right there with us. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You and I don't have to experience the the darkness and the doubting and the fear of having to lose our Savior. I feel for those whose theology leads them to believe 
that you can have Jesus one minute and you can lose him the next. That you can be saved for a while and then you can lose your salvation for a while. And there's this fear of, of am I saved or am I not? Is he here or is he gone? And, and, and scripture says to us that that's not the way that it is. That once Jesus is our Savior, he is our Savior forever. He walked with the disciples, and in John chapter 14, you're you're probably very familiar with the first part of that chapter where Jesus speaks and says, I'm going to leave for a while, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, you can be also. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, I don't want to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to live in you. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper who will be with you forever. In other words, you're not going to be alone. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to come and live in you. He says, the spirit of truth that the world cannot receive. So if you don't have this relationship with Jesus, then what I'm talking about right now is something that you've never experienced. Having the spirit of God come and live within you. Having this intimate relationship with Jesus that never, ever ends, that does not have to be on again, off again. But it's the Spirit who will be with you forever. It's the Spirit of truth that the world can't receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you, and He will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus says. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. What's he saying? I'm about to leave physically, but I'm not going to leave you alone. The world that just can see with their eyes, they they won't see me. They'll think I'm gone forever, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them... He it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? How will we see you? How will we be in relationship with you and not the world? He's still thinking in in a physical terms. How is it that we're going to have a relationship with you, Lord, but the rest of the world won't even see you? And Jesus says... If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and the Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. We get to experience a love that is life-changing. It's not religion. It's a relationship with the God who loved you enough to die on the cross for you who died in your place, took upon himself the sin that you and I and the punishment that you and I deserve. And he invites us to be his bride. Now, if we think the story of the Song of Solomon is almost too good to be true, that King Solomon would leave his throne and go out into the countryside and find a girl who had been forced into slavery under her brother's, And God would choose a field hand to to be, the king would choose a field hand to be his bride. If we think that story is almost too good to be true, what about the true story of God coming in the flesh to claim his bride? Those of us who were, while we were still sinners, Christ 
loved us and he died for us. If you think the story of the Song of Solomon is a great love story, there's even a greater love story found in the New Testament. It's the story of Jesus coming for us. Him loving us and Him promising never to leave us. And so He never leaves us. But here's the truth. Sometimes we wander from Him. So what about those moments? What about those moments where he doesn't leave us, but we wander away from him? We're like our friend Aaron that gets in his boat, hits a rocky spot, and all of a sudden is drifting out to sea. What about those moments? For those of us who are believers, who are beloved by God, what happens in those moments? The Bible says that God comes searching for us. He doesn't stop until he finds us. He has a relentless love that pursues us again and again and again. Because all of us are like sheep, prone to wander and prone to stray. But we have a God who is faithful, even when we are not, to come pursue those that he loves, for those that he has claimed as his own. In, in that sense, the, the urgency that we see in this bride to find her king is the urgency of the king to find us. And he searches, and he searches, and he finds us. And when he does, he grabs hold and refuses to let go. That's the kind of Savior that we have. And in this story of the Song of Solomon, we're reminded again and again that we are the ones that stray, that we are the ones that go, but that we have a Savior who has promised never, ever to leave us or forsake us. But I wonder sometimes if in those moments when you and I wander, when we stray, when we fall short, I wonder in those moments when we let other things crowd out our love for the Lord, if we even notice that he's not near? Do we sense in our spirit that there's become distance between us and God and that we need to come back to him, that we need to repent? Or are we so caught up in our day-to-day stuff and in our own dreams and our own world that we don't even realize he's not there? I wonder if we notice when something is missing. If we sense the distance, the emptiness. If there is a longing in our heart that says, I've drifted and I've got to get back home. And if there is that urgency within us, why would we let anything stand between us and the one that we love? I think we can learn a lesson today from the bride When she looked up and realized that the one that she loved was not right there with her. What did she do? She says, I will arise and I will go and I will search until I find the one that I love. And when she couldn't find him on her own, she asked others to help. And she didn't stop. 
until she found the one that her soul loved. What about you? Do you have that kind of a love for the Lord? Do you have that kind of a love for the Lord that when fellowship with God is broken, that, that there's something inside of you that says, I've got to get back. I've got, I, I miss those moments with my maker. I miss those times in God's presence. Or is this just one of those relationships that are kind of, I can take it or I can leave it. It needs to be that kind of a relationship that the moment fellowship is broken, the moment that sin occurs and, 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 and it seems that distance becomes between us and the Lord, that there's something that quickens inside our heart that says, Lord, I want to come back. I want to repent. I, I can't make it another moment without you by my side. And we fall at his feet and we cling to his promise and we say, Lord, I can't let go. For you are my life and you are the one that I love more than anything. Maybe we need to do what the bride did and get up and go and search. Risk it all to find the one our soul loves and not stopping until we are safe in his arms. Here's the best news of all, and we'll close with this. The best news is this. If you've wandered away, if you're not where you need to be with God, he's not sitting waiting on you to find him. He is searching for you right now. And if you will listen, you will hear him call your name. And it will be a voice sweeter than any voice you've ever heard. As he calls your name and you turn to him, he will reveal himself to you. And you will see. That it is him that has been calling you all along. It is him that has been speaking to you for some time and urging you to recognize who he is and to fall at his feet and to worship him. So really the question this morning is, will we turn? And will we embrace him? And will we worship him? And will we thank him that he loved us enough to pursue us even in our sin? So wherever you're at in this relationship with Jesus today, whether you've ever started that relationship with Christ or maybe you just attended church and heard the stories and thought, man, this is a a neat little story. But maybe you've never begun that relationship with Jesus. I want to encourage you today. Don't love from a distance. Get up close and personal. Realize that the king... The King of kings and the Lord of lords left his throne to come for you. It's the greatest love story ever told. That God in all of his holiness, that God in all of his goodness, that God in all of his power pursued people like us who were sinful, who had fallen short, and yet he loved us. And it's his love for us that changes us into the bride that he made us to be. He calls you today and he asks you to come be his bride. To just love him and seek him and pursue him as he has loved and sought and pursued you. And if you will do that, everything in life begins to come into focus. And everything in life, it's, it's all consuming when you love Jesus like that. Don't go halfway in this relationship with Jesus. All in. The king has come, and he has called you by name. 
How will you respond today? Let's pray.